Americans love an underdog story. They love triumph, overcoming the odds, proving that you can do the unthinkable through will and determination. That's why the left hates it. It lacks anyone to blame when you tell that kind of story but yourself. So they've come up with their own kind of storytelling, steeped in postmodern mythology. If a story can pull on your heartstrings, require people to blindly trust what you're saying, and then relies upon some kind of intersectional identity politics, then we're told it is a masterpiece, an Oscar-winning performance. You like me! There's just one problem. The best stories are actually true. And for the postmodern left, truth is a tool of oppressive right-wing extremism, or even worse, a tool of neo-colonial puritanical Christians. Help, help, I'm being repressed! The recipe of storytelling for the left has been the cause of race hoaxes, trans surgeries, and of course the biggest lie, the Me Too movement. I think I was raped, career over! With the mantra, believe all women on their side, shallow women looking for a payday have traveled the country telling their fantastical tales of woe in an effort to rake in cash for their grift. And that's exactly what Lindsey Hill tried to do to MLB pitcher Trevor Bauer. By now you've probably heard the story, but on June 30th, 2021, Trevor Bauer came under scrutiny when he was accused of sexual assault. And not just any kind of sexual assault, the most aggravated, if true, vile kind of sexual assault you can perpetrate on a woman. A few days later, he was placed on administrative leave and it was all downhill from there. The league conducted what they call an extensive review of all available evidence. And after the longest suspension for domestic violence in the game's history, Bauer was released by the Dodgers. There's just one problem. The story Lindsey Hill told was total BS. Right here on the screen, I'm gonna show you some text messages that were sent by Lindsey Hill before any of these events allegedly took place. Next victim, star pitcher for the Dodgers. A text Lindsey Hill sent to a friend before she ever even met me. What should I steal? She asked another in reference to visiting my house for the first time. The answer, take his money. So how might that work? I'm going to his house Wednesday, she said. I already have my hooks in. You know how I roll. Then, after the first time we met, net worth is 51 mil, she said. Bitch, you better secure the bag, was the response. Uh, but, but how was she going to do that? Need daddy to choke me out, she said. Being an absolute whore to try to get in on his 51 million. Not only were there text messages that were sent by Lindsay Hill, but Bauer countersued Lindsay after her vampire lawyers came after him and tried to extort millions of dollars from him. Trevor then countersued, and in the process of discovery, these cell phone selfies were released that were taken by Lindsay Hill on the morning in which she alleged that Trevor Bauer beat her senselessly. You can see that here. This critical information was deliberately and unlawfully concealed from me and my legal team. Uh, information like this video, which was taken by Lindsay Hill herself the morning after she claimed she was brutally attacked, emotionally traumatized, and desperate to get away from me. Uh, and now we have the metadata, so there can be no dispute. Uh, it was taken mere minutes before she left my house on the morning of May 16th, 2021, without my knowledge or consent, of course. Uh, in it, you can see her lying in bed next to me while I'm sleeping, smirking at the camera without a care in the world, or any marks on her face. Odd, isn't it? For a victim of domestic violence, she seems really at peace with that man. Almost like her whole story was made up, because of course, it was. Lindsay Hill was a far too common piranha, selling her self-respect and her body to the highest bidder, making her the worst kind of prostitute, a prostitute and a liar. 
Why use such strong language? Well, not only because it's true, but because this phenomenon is far too common today. And these kind of false allegations have found their way into accusations against Donald Trump, Brett Kavanaugh, Clarence Thomas, Russell Brand, which, by the way, have not yielded a single criminal charge yet, and even Tim Ballard, the subject of the movie Sound of Freedom. It's an unfortunate story all too common today. Woman looking for payday accuses man, world believes, woman rakes in cash. The problem with that is that it's destroying the lives of innocent people. That's why these harpies have to be stopped. Why is this happening and what's the cure for it? I'll talk to you about it today on Indie Thinker. Welcome to the show. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, and to check out today's show sponsor. Our friends over at Anchor can help you with all your business solutions. How do I know? Well, not only because they're helping us, but because also I've seen them do it to countless other businesses. I'm actually on a forum with Anchor and a bunch of other local businesses, and Anchor is doing some amazing work to help people take their business to the next level. Now, if you want to see what they can do for you, you have to go over to their website, but you got to make sure you get the name right. It's ancur.biz. ancur.biz. Are you looking for staffing help? Are you looking for small business solutions, accounting, bookkeeping? Any of those small business solutions, Anchor can help you with all of that and so much more. But again, you need to go over to their website to see all the ways that they can put legs underneath your vision. And when you do so, let them know that IndieThinker sent you. Well, I was on my way to flag football practice with my two small boys, and on the way, we passed a high school, and at that high school was a bunch of young men who were strapping on their pads for tackle football, some of these boys much bigger than others, and then off to the side were two young little girls who were also strapping on their football pads for tackle football. Now, I did what only a good father would, which is to have just a moment of reflection with my boys and to teach them what only a father can teaches his young men. And that is that, hey, you stand up for causes in your life and you have to be willing to pay the price for those things. You have to be willing to sacrifice. But the sacrifice that you make for the ideas and the things that you stand up for should be commensurate with the message you're trying to send. And the message that is being sent when two young women are trying to participate in football is, I can only imagine, a girl can do everything a boy can do which is absolutely spiritually, mentally, and physically bankrupt in every way that you can possibly think of, and demands that we, that we actually decry the kind of parents that would put their daughter's physical well-being on the line in order to send such a flimsy and ridiculous message, because everyone with a prefrontal cortex understands that boy tackle football, even though these young men are still very much physically developing, and even though the girls develop typically, generally, a little bit faster than boys, it's still ridiculous to put uh, young girls with young boys on a tackle football team, but somehow I suspect that we'll keep on seeing more of this kind of insanity in the culture. And the question comes, uh, why are we seeing these kind of things? So I want to bring back Trevor Bauer into the conversation, as I did at the beginning of the show. Now, if you missed the beginning where I kind of give most of the meat of what took place with Trevor Bauer, I highly encourage you to uh, to go back and check that out. But nonetheless, Trevor Bauer uh, just recently was able to release some of the text messages and some of the videos of Lindsay Hill, who accused him of sexually assaulting 
her. Now, I said in the most egregious way at the beginning of this show, and what I meant by that is that Lindsay Hill had bruises all over her face. She even had bruising and wounds in her genital area. And it was said that uh, this came after a night of rough sex where she was strangled among other things and that Trevor Bauer just took it too far. Now, hopefully I sufficiently showed you that all of that was total nonsense and that Trevor Bauer didn't do any of that. You should know that a couple of other factors weigh into how we know this to be true that Lindsey Hill tried to file a restraining order against Trevor Bauer. The judge threw that out and said, no, uh, we're not doing that here. Uh, so the judge didn't find sufficient evidence to actually give a restraining order, which if anybody knows anything about restraining orders, it's incredibly easy to, to get those because the burden of proof for those kind of things is very, very low because the judge is always going to defer to the person who needs that protection and say, hey, we'll, we'll give you the protection. Uh, needless to say, not only was that thrown out, but there was a consistent court battle behind the, or sorry, a, a consistent battle between lawyers behind the scene between Trevor's lawyers and Lindsay's lawyers. And eventually they both decided to um, settle out of court with no money at all being exchanged because Trevor refused to give her a single dime. So all of the evidence points to the fact that Trevor Bauer is telling the truth and that this woman, even with her pictures of uh, assault and how she was abused, was absolutely lying and just looking for a payday. And the reason this is so important is Trevor Bauer was well on his way to success. And now he is going to spend the rest of his days probably playing in Japan and never play in the major leagues ever again here in America, which definitely means that he will not make anywhere near as much money as he could have. This is a former Cy Young award winner, a former phenomenal pitcher in the major leagues that is now relegated to playing in Japan alone. And so as you can see, there's casualties for these kind of lies. But the real question comes into the fore here as to why we are seeing these kind of lies being perpetrated and told in record number and how we're seeing kind of the mentality of the West just being warped at record pace, not only with girls playing football, but also girls looking to fleece their own self-respect in order to rake in a payday. Where does this kind of image of what humanity actually is get degenerated and degraded so, so deeply? Well, I want to show you where Trevor Bauer, at the end of revealing kind of these, you know, very alarming uh, revelations about this court case, I want to show you where Trevor Bauer has a moment of self-reflection, and hopefully that can show us where these ideas are coming from and what we can do about them. So check it out. In evaluating my life over the recent months, uh, it's clear that I've made some poor choices, particularly in regards to the people that I've chosen to associate with. But I am not the person that this woman, her lawyers, and certain members of the media have painted me to be. Now that kind of self-reflection is so rare in our society for an individual to say my decision making is the reason that I put myself in this position in the first place is, is really, I think, striking and really noble. We'll talk about that kind of more deeply uh, as we get into it. But, but here's the, the point is that all of this could have been avoided. And real love helps people avoid these kind of things. It helps people avoid the pits that they're walking into. And it tells them before they get to the pit, hey, there's a pit ahead. And then if inevitably that individual falls into the pit, we don't come over to the side of the pit and just lean over and just say, hey, you know what? I accept you and love you down there in that pit. You know, uh, I, I just want you to know that I tolerate all of your decision making down there in that pit. No, real love actually drops a rope down into the pit and pulls the person out of it. It doesn't draw circles around the pit. 
and, and isn't interested in just simply drawing lines around the pit either. That's not even the point. The point is, is that we give the help that is necessary to the person who is suffering and struggling. And there is no doubt that one of the reasons our culture is struggling so much is because there is a decline in religious observance. Now, to prove that, I just want to try to show you a couple of things. We've been told for the longest time that a decline in religious observance um, is is a good thing. A- atheists have been trying to peddle this this lie for a while now, um, and uh, this lie has actually been working. So for a relatively short amount of time, we've started to see the West decline in religious attendance. Um, and we hear from atheists that that's a good thing, that it's better for society, that we'd much rather live in a society where religion wasn't even a thing. Of course, we're not going to tell people they can't do whatever they want to do because we have to believe in freedom until we get power, and then we'll do what you know, what Stalin did and try to get rid of all religious people. But uh, so we can't tell them they can't do it. But I mean, we all know, right? If we just didn't live in a religious society, all this would be better. Um, Well, I want to get to that claim in just a moment. And I just want to bring it back to Trevor Bauer real quick. Do you think that we would be so quick as a society to lie about people, to extort them for money if religion was still a facet of our society? Now, of course, there's always been liars, but odds on favorite is if we were a more religious society, that would be different. So here's a clip from Jordan Peterson and an atheist where they discuss whether or not religion is good for society. Check it out. Now, at last, the majority uh, are not religious. It's just tipped over in the latest polls. And in fact, coming up on the train from Devon today, I got chatting with various people. The assumption that I find here, I don't know what it's like in Canada, is I always start with assuming someone's an atheist and it nearly always turns out to be there. Oh, yeah, all that religion stuff, you know. It's very, very common in this country. Now, we have not descended into being a terrible country. Um, We have, you know, yes, we have our problems. We're still fairly early on in the... In the experiment, I suppose, of ditching well, God. Well, like about yes. 10 years. Uh, yes, I, I, I will await with interest and hope I live long enough to see. But then if we look at many of the Scandinavian countries, which are way ahead of us in, the, in that move, they have wonderful um, uh, health systems, um, welfare state, support for people out okay. of work well, and so on. I, I'd be really interested in hearing your response to all this then, Jordan. Yeah, well, I see a university professor. Let, let's take Dawkins, for example. He's pre- He's, he's the sovereign, rational individual, but there's a, there's a wall around him. That's the wall, let's say, of his university. And then outside the university, there's the wall of the town. And outside the town, there's the wall of the, of the state and the wall of the country. And there's just these concentric rings that are protecting him. And he can stand in the middle and say, well, I'm divorced from all that. It's not under, it doesn't undergird me. It's like it undergirds you to a degree that you can't possibly imagine. And you're, you're, you're living on on the, well, really it is, it is the resources that have been gathered painfully and bloodily in the past and saying, well, we can just detach ourselves from that and float off. It's like, no, you can't. You don't understand what you're talking about. God, I love that man. Look, I'd argue that Christianity still undergirds the West, not only in Europe, but also in America in a multitude of ways, whether we know it or not. But we are seeing the beginning of the cracks of what secularism will do to our society if allowed to have free reign. And the excesses of the Me Too movement are just the beginning. I mean, honestly, what do we think will happen when moral frameworks become autonomously defined and we just come up with our own morality on the fly and and it's self-defined? Do you think everyone is just going to develop a coherent moral framework overnight and that it's going to work in a society where we all have to live with each other? And if they do develop a consistent moral framework, 
Will it look any different than what Christianity has been preaching for years? I mean, even Richard Dawkins himself had to admit when pressed that he borrows his morality from Christianity. What's your moral code? I suppose it's a version of the golden rule. So as the West experiences a steep decline in religious adherence, it's time to judge the results. It's time to be honest. Anyone paying attention knows the answer. Removing a standard of truth from our cultural consciousness has paved the way for arbitrary and ridiculous morality. Your truth and my truth and centering my lived experiences code for I am just full of it. Maybe morality is dependent upon belief in a higher being after all. And all of our claims to be good without God are kind of total nonsense. Listen, atheist Tom Holland said this as well. It's not just me. He said this, Christianity revolutionized sex and marriage, demanding that men control themselves and prohibit all forms of rape. Christianity confines sexuality within monogamy. It is ironic, Holland notes, that these are now the very standards for which Christianity is derided in the culture. Christianity elevated women. In short, Christianity utterly transformed the world. In fact, Holland points out that without Christianity, the Western world would not exist. So the, the end of the day, the whole point is this, is that the Lindsay Hills of the world exist less when our world is steeped in Christian morality. But there's a second point that we have to bring out too. And that is that the Trevor Bowers of the world don't exist, or at least exist less when Christianity is at the helm. Now, I already showed you his clip of him kind of having a moment of self-reflection, but he doesn't go far enough. He doesn't actually realize that the thing that he needs the most is a religious framework to keep him morally accountable. We all need some kind of framework to hold us morally accountable for our decision making. You know, far be it from me to become a victim blamer here, but I have to tell you that Trevor Bauer, if he didn't have the kind of laissez-faire sexual moral values that he has, he would not have found himself in this situation. There are plenty of high profile men who are not cavorting around with floozies at clubs who don't have this kind of issue. Casual sex with random women that don't have self-respect is always a bad decision. And it always has been. Not only for like genital health, but also for your mental and your financial health. Trevor Bauer figured this out and he would still be a dodger. It wouldn't have to have spent millions of dollars on attorney fees if he hadn't thought two nights with a woman that has no self-respect was worth it. No man deserves to be accused of doing something that he hasn't done, don't get me wrong, but there's a good lesson here for all men. The way the Bible has civilized society has more merit than we give it credit. Keep it in your pants until you put a ring on it. And that brings us to kind of a second and final point here. There's a lot of online conversation right now about trad wives and about whether or not uh, a man should believe in marriage now simply based upon the fact that there's so much divorce and there's so many women like Lindsay Hill out there. Is the, the institution of marriage, has it been exposed for the, uh, for the flawed institution that it actually is? And a lot of red-pilled conservatives have gone online to suggest that marriage just doesn't work for us in society any longer. It might have worked for past generations, but it doesn't work for us today. Well, I have some news for you. Sure, the kind of women that are out there today may make you afraid of getting married, but 
marriage is still the best institution for raising children. And unless you want the species to totally just diminish and die, then I would encourage you to get back to investing in and finding what good and healthy marriage looks like. You can't call yourself a red-pilled conservative and then endorse the same kind of policies, uh, uh, the genocidal policies of those on the left. And the reality is, is that this is way overblown. Sure, the Lindsay Hills of the world exist, but my God, boys, go to church and find yourself a good Bible-believing women. They still exist out there. It's totally overblown that all women have bought into second wave and third wave feminism, and there's no way that you can find a good woman anymore. If you think a good woman can be found at a club and a good woman can be found who's willing to hook up with you after one night of drinking, well then you have a very flawed definition of what a good woman actually is. No good woman actually does that kind of stuff. So go out, start putting yourself in a position to succeed, and then you'll find marriage might actually work for you once you find a woman with morals and values. And I would highly encourage that you potentially look for a woman that actually has some Christian moral values, not just somebody that says they're a Christian, but actually like maybe a practicing Christian. I don't know. No, I know. Crazy thought. Suffice to say, I think if we're going to be honest about atheism and its role in society, then we're going to have to also look at the church because it's not just secular culture who is suffering at the hands of radical secularism and atheism, but it's also the church. Just recently, the Vatican has come under fire for defending same-sex unions. Now, this is on the heels of many other mainline denominations like the Anglican Church endorsing same-sex un unions. And now they've done this in a kind of wishy-washy way. They, they say that Anglican priests can marry uh, the the, the same-sex couples, but that they can't actually bless the union uh, beyond that by giving them office in church and that kind of thing. And so it's just, it's just simply kind of a, a weaselly way to kind of dovetail in homosexual unions inside the Anglican church. And there's other mainline denominations like the uh, United Methodist Church and, and others like it who are consistently pushing further and further to the left and away from Christian biblical values. Uh, just recently, the Vatican did some interesting things too that I think we need to, that we need to pay attention to. So there were cardinals that were asked at a gathering where there was a bunch of uh, LGBTQ individuals that began singing All You Need Is Love. And it was there that those German Catholic priests and cardinals uh, began blessing those people and pronouncing a blessing over them. Now, this caused an uproar in Catholic communities asking, where does the Pope actually stand on this issue? We've heard a lot about climate change from this guy, but where does he actually stand on these issues? And this is how the Pope responded to that group of German Catholics who essentially blessed a group of LGBTQ individuals singing that Beatles song. He said that the church can't only exclude. In other words, it's not just our job just to try to tell people what they can't do. Well, you, and you, uh, you conservatives need to come back and you need to focus on God, not ideological battles. It would be helpful to you also to know that the Pope recently came out and replaced a conservative leader who said that same-sex blessings are not permitted by the Catholic Church. And he replaced that Vatican leader with somebody who is way more open to gay unions. So here's the point at the end of the day. Every church in America welcomes the gay couple. It's not a question as to whether or not we should be welcoming and whether or not we should love individuals who do not agree with us or people who have a different stance on things. But the problem with, with that is that there's no church in America outside of Westboro Baptist where a gay person is not welcome through the doors of an American church. That's not the question. And anybody who tries to suggest that 
whether or not we should be accepting and loving of gay people is trying to obfuscate rather than get to the real point because that's, that isn't the point. And by the way, for the past 40, 50 years or so, um, the church has largely avoided the topic of homosexuality in its Sunday morning meetings, certainly since the seeker-sensitive movement has come onto the scene. It's not anything we talk about. Now, uh, cowardly pastors just say, well, we're going to focus on gospel issues and not, and not sexuality, as though Jesus never had anything to say about biblical sexuality. But suffice to say, every church in America welcomes the gay person. The question is not whether or not we should welcome them, whether or not we should love them. Of course, we should. Our churches should be a place where gay people can come and they can hear the word of God. The question is, is once they get there, will they get the help that they need? The question is, is once we've welcomed that person in, are we willing to go to the next step? It's not enough to just affirm the union between a man and a woman, as we've seen other high-profile evangelical leaders do just recently. Especially as the culture war heats up, we must become more militant in this way. We must denounce same-sex unions because we have the cure for it. If you hear a pastor talking about how we need to be accepting and loving of, of same-sex couples, but never mention the words deliverance or freedom, then you know that you're hearing a pastor who wants to emphasize one side of the gospel, but not another side of the gospel. And perhaps the most important side of the gospel, the curative, the salvific side of the gospel, what the gospel is really all about, the good news of the gospel, which isn't just that you're accepted into a church by mankind, but that you can be set free by Christ. Whether you believe that or not, that is the message of the church. And anybody who, who refuses to, to communicate that aspect of the church is actually not helping people, not really loving them, but is actually following a secular version of love, which is much more like the notion of tolerance, which is not really found in Scripture, because tolerance is not what we're called to. Nowhere in the Bible can you really see the message of tolerance, because it is clear, even from a logical standpoint, pushing the Bible aside, that you're not supposed to tolerate all behaviors. You're not supposed to tolerate domestic abuse. You're not supposed to tolerate thievery. You're not supposed to tolerate adultery. You, you, Jesus didn't say, hey, if your husband cheats on you, you know, give him another woman to, and to cheat on you again. That's, he said, if you get slapped in the face, it, turn, turn to the other cheek. And so the point is, is that if we're going to be serious about these issues and actually really push back against the obvious cultural and moral malaise of our age, that we need men and women who are going to stand against the real problem undergirding all of leftist, postmodern, secular notions in our present age, which is an anti-biblical, anti-Christian atheism that is infusing all of our institutions and unfortunately including the church. To dig into that a little bit deeper, let's go into our final segment, Bible Study with Democrats. Oh God of Pronouns. Just recently, a Washington Post article was written that declared that America needs more atheism, that it's the cure for what's going on in society today. So I wanted to read that to you and then respond to it. So it starts off like this. I like to say that my kids made me an atheist, but really what they did was make me honest. I was raised Jewish with Sabbath prayers and religious school, a bat mitzvah, and a Jewish wedding. But I don't remember ever truly believing that God was out there listening to me sing songs of praise. 
I thought of God as a human invention, a character, a concept, a carryover from an ancient time. I thought of him as fiction. So in other words, you were never religious whatsoever. Your parents drug you to synagogue um, and on Saturday, I believe, and that's, that's it. And your kids didn't make you an atheist. You're correct. You were always an atheist. This is a problem that many people have in society today, that because they're a part of a religious country or a religious culture or a religious family, therefore, they think that that makes them some kind of expert on religion. And then when they have one little small church hurt or whatever the case may be, bad experience at church, somebody didn't say hi to them when they came through the door, uh, the coffee wasn't warm enough, whatever the case may be, uh, all of a sudden that turns them into experts of anti-Christianity and they want to stand up against it and declare it the evil of our age when it's very clear, obviously, from the very beginning of this story, this woman actually had no understanding of religion whatsoever. And again, I find this to be an incredibly annoying aspect of modern day atheism that the people who know the least about religion want to come up and be experts on the subject. Uh, so forgive me if I think there is little credibility in any of the words that she's going to say moving forward, but we can keep on, we can keep on pressing ahead. But needless to say, the woman was never a believer of any shape, form, or fashion. Her kids didn't in, indeed make her an atheist. But the story goes on and it says, Today I realize that means I'm an atheist. It's not complicated. My non-belief derives naturally from a few basic observations. The Greek myths are obviously stories. The North myths are obviously stories. L. Ron Hubbard obviously made that stuff up. Extrapolate. Hitler had a mustache. Everybody with a mustache is Hitler. Now, I've heard this so often. Well, we see these Greek myths and how much like they are, how much they are like the things we hear in Christianity, right? Uh, th there was a son of God because a God impregnated a woman and all those kind of things. I mean, does that sound like maybe how Hercules was born? Okay, so you can superficially look at some of the Greek myths and you can try to equate them to uh, to Christianity, Judaism, or any of the other stories, but they are only superficially the same. They are fundamentally different. And that totally denies the fact that by and large, uh, Romans and Greeks didn't necessarily all believe that the myths were true stories, as opposed to the Western world that has actually built much of its institutions and much of its ideas, at least in its founding, on the ideas of scripture, and it's actually been a net benefit for society. We'll get to that in a little bit deeper, but there's two points just to know here. First of all, uh, classifying Greek myths as the same thing as Christianity is absolutely intellectually dishonest. There's, that's the nice way to say it. It's actually, and, and there's no nuance throughout any of this to try to suss out how and which they may be different. But we certainly know the second thing, which is that the way in which Christianity has impacted culture is fundamentally different than the way L. Ron Hubbard or any Greek myths impacted culture. Let's keep going. The holy books underpinning some of the bigger theistic religions are riddled with facts now disproved by science and morality, now disavowed by modern adherents. Oh, is that true? I bet you, you can't provide a single example. I bet you, you won't do it in any of this article. And if I had bet her bef before she wrote it, I would have earned a lot of money because exactly as you might expect, uh, she didn't provide any basis for her very audacious claim that 
religions are riddled with facts and morality that are now disavowed and disproven by modern society. Now, they may be disavowed by modern society, but, but the facts are disproven. I'd love, I'd love to hear your case for that, but unfortunately, we're not going to get it. This is very similar to what I hear very often from atheists, especially in the comments section. Uh, we all know that the Bible was written by men, and it's filled with errors. Um, and then when pressed to actually give an error, they can't actually provide one whatsoever. We usually get something around the fact of like, well, look at the discrepancies here. And so just because one story doesn't report something another story does, all of a sudden we're supposed to believe that it's, that it's all a lie. So look for those red herrings whenever you find an atheist near you. But let's keep reading. Life is confusing and death is scary. Naturally, humans want to believe that someone capable is in charge and that we continue to live after we die, but wanting doesn't make it so. So really, all right, so Christianity is the crutch. You know, in a way, that's true. Christianity is a crutch. Like, just like you need a crutch for your broken leg, maybe you need a crutch for your soul. You need a crutch for your attitude. You need a crutch for your temperament. If it's broken, you might need to admit that you, you need a little bit of help. But let's not get it twisted for one second. Sure, there are people out there who use Christianity simply as a cope for uh, not knowing what happens when they die. But let's not pretend that atheism isn't a cope too. Just because you don't know what happens and that's a unnerving and unsettling thing for these pseudo-intellectuals in the atheist community, they need to pretend that they do know everything. And so they insert atheism and then they say something ridiculous like science tells us everything we need to know. Scientific naturalism has given us all we need for life. Really, is that so? So scientific naturalism, which can't provide an objective basis for moral values, has given you everything you need for life. Scientific naturalism, which actually can't explain the origin of our planet and the universe, gives you everything you need for life. Forgive me if I don't believe you. Let's keep going. She goes on to talk about her kids, and she says this. Their first atheist lesson was completely impromptu. Noah was five, Jesse was three, and we're sitting on the couch before a bed reading from Dayler's Book of Greek Myths. Okay, whatever that is. A holdover from my childhood bookshelf. One of the boys asked what a myth was, and I told them it was a story about the world and how it works. People used to believe that these gods were in charge of what happened on Earth, and these stories helped explain things they didn't understand, like winter or stars or thunder. See, I flipped ahead, flipped ahead and found a picture. Zeus has a thunderbolt. They don't believe in him anymore? No, I said. That's why they call it a myth. When people still believe it, they call it religion, like the stories about God and Moses that we read at Passover or the ones about Jesus and Christmas. The little pajama-clad bodies nodded, and on we read. That was it, the big moment. It was probably also the easiest moment. Oh, the bravery of this dear woman to once again equate Greek myths to Christianity and Christmas. Uh, I bet she still, she still celebrates it, by the way, uh, to equate uh, the Greek myths and Christmas as one and the same, and then to do so with a three-year-old child that obviously cannot comprehend what's being said. Now, throughout this whole article, you will find zero nuance because she just wants to equate all religions as the same, truthfully. There are religions that are more militant than others, and there are some religions that are very dangerous, and we should be honest about that. But that doesn't mean that all religions are a net negative for society. If you actually provide a little bit of nuance, you'll see that some religions actually have been beneficial to society, and as we move away from them, it is actually very negative for us. Unlike what this woman did throughout this article, I will actually give you some statistical proof to make sure that my point is not just some anecdotal story about my kids being pajama clad and me trying to undermine Christianity in front of them. 
I'll actually provide some evidence for what I'm saying. So statistically, the church is experiencing lower attendance than it ever has. In the first time in history of America, the church is below majority, 47% of people saying that they regularly attend church. 47% of people saying they regularly attend a church. Now, if I showed you a chart, which I'll do now, of church attendance and its decline, it is almost directly inverted from the rise of the LGBTQ identifying people in Gen Z. So is that any coincidence? So one of the repercussions of a religiousless culture or a culture that is moving away from Christianity is that there is a decline in church attendance and a rise almost in, in direct correlation to each other in LGBTQ identifying people. So to prove that, let me show you. Gen Z is considered the least religious generation. Gen Z also has the highest rate of LGBTQ individuals, LGBTQ identifying individuals. One out of 1,000 boomers reported being trans compared to, check this out, in Gen Z, 23 out of 100, making Gen Z 20 times more likely to identify as trans. You can see the same thing here on this chart that shows that the LGBTQ identifying people as a whole has exponentially risen in Gen Z. LGBTQ identifying adults have more than quadrupled from Gen X in Gen Z. And I don't know if you remember the 80s, but they were incredibly gay. Now, some of you may say, well, why is this a problem, Reed? As people have left the church, they've started being more free to identify as LGBTQ and all of that. Or perhaps maybe they've found a little bit more indoctrination than they found in the church in the LGBTQ cult. But you say, why is that a problem? Well, trans people are at a much significantly higher risk of suicide than the general population. Just look at Gen Z alone, removing kind of the... Uh, LGBTQ identifying markers, Gen Z alone is committing suicide in groves. They are killing themselves in record number. They are the most suicidal generation in the history of the world. In 2022, suicides reached a record high across the board, and suicide has become the second leading cause of death in Gen Z. I mean, that's stark. That should wake us up. Some even are calling suicide an epidemic in Gen Z. So at the end of the day, as people leave the church, people are identifying more with a generation that is sexually divergent and also at higher risk of suicide. And so that brings us to the next thing. Maybe we need Christianity to help us not want to just destroy it all because it sure seems that a removal of religion, a step away from Christian and biblical ethics actually leads one to nihilism because suicide rates have exponentially increased. Again, look at the charts of church attendance and look at the charts of the increase in suicide and you'll see a startling trend. As more people leave church, suicide rates get higher. And by the way, the jury is out. This is not even arguable anymore. Suicide is at an all-time high and religiousness decreases the rate of suicide because people in America claim 
And in a recent poll, this was shown that on average, Christians and people who attend church on a regular basis are way happier. I can show you poll after poll after poll and study after study that shows that religious people are happier than the general populace. Just about every poll, including this study from the NIH, says religious people are much more protected against suicide. As you can see from this Gallup poll, religious people are much more likely to describe themselves as very happy. I could go on and on and on. And look, I get it. I'm not making an argument for theism or whether or not God actually exists. We can do that on a different show. But I am showing you that religion is a net positive for society in a multitude of ways. And look, I, I get it. You may still be a little bit skeptical, but notice this that regardless of whether you consider yourself an atheist or not, you are probably going to replace your religious adherence with something else. And trust me, this woman that wrote this article is definitely going to replace whatever religious values she had with left-wing values. And so she's gonna support the rights of women through abortion. She's gonna talk about climate change and how much of an existential threat it is. And she's gonna espouse a bunch of different views that are basically espoused on the basis of faith because let's not get it twisted. Atheists have faith just like Christians. And somebody, a wise man once said, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Voltaire said this, that if God did not exist, we would have to invent him. Oh, I would give anything for the kind of honest atheist Voltaire was. And he was a rabid, anti-Christian atheist. But oh, that we would have atheists who are wise enough and smart enough to actually admit these kind of things in society today and tell us that, hey, you, you may not believe in God, but you're going to replace him with something else. This is exactly what Nietzsche said. Who's going to wipe the blood off our hands? Who's going to uh, help us, you know, reach atonement? Shall we not have to create our own games and create our own God in order to be worthy of the death of God? This is a reminder that everybody is worshiping something. But is the thing that you're worshiping actually good for society? Leftism, secularism, postmodernism, it doesn't work. And we're seeing all the time why it doesn't. Therefore, I highly encourage you. It's more important that you investigate the faith than ever before. And more important that you don't just listen to a rabid atheist declare their hate for religion before you start to question whether or not religion may be good for you and your family. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks so much for watching. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. And most importantly, go with God.